Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. This is the April Fool's Day edition of the Roman Today podcast. My name is Graham Nichols. It is Thursday, April 1st. I am pleased to be joined right now on the line by someone who I referred to earlier this morning as one of the most criminally underfollowed members of the senator's social sphere. He is Ledois Sylvain Saint Laurent. He is their head of uh, sports, and he is probably one of the best Senators writers who's been covering the team over the last couple of years. And he is underfollowed. He might not be the one to tell you that, but he is. And Sylvain, first things first, I love your work. You look at what you've done over the last year and a half, especially, and I think there's like a critical element in the sense that, you know, you provide kind of like a fair and balanced approach to analyzing this team. And I think you've been one of the more outspoken and, and critical voices in this community from the mainstream media. But you've done it and you presented it in such a way that's, that's fair and balanced. And I look at your following on Twitter and, and social media and I see the numbers. I'm like, how does this guy not have more follows? What do you attribute to, you know, just not having a bigger following? Well, it's two things. I, I think the language thing has a little bit, a little something to do with it. Like reading French, and, and I guess some Ottawa fans probably don't even think of Le Droit as a media outlet that covers the sense. Because I mean, like you don't read Le Droit if you're anglophone for political news or stuff like this, so you don't really follow it for sense news. And the other part, I would assume that you're referring to to my my Twitter following. Um, I don't think I'm a very good follow on Twitter. Like every time one of you guys, either you or Mendes or, or somebody like twice or three times a year, somebody will say, hey, follow Sly. He does a good job covering the sense. It's a, I get massive following. And then people wonder, uh, why doesn't this guy tweet anymore? Part of it is because um, I guess I, I'm becoming old school as we go. And um, I, I'm always uh, mindful of like when I put an opinion out there, I want it to be good and perfect and everything good. So that makes me kind of like, I always doubt myself. So I tweet my stories, my columns, but I'm not active enough on Twitter that, that, that I am a good follow. You're a modest guy, Sly. You're a modest guy. At least I know, well, speaking for myself, I know when I use your Twitter, I'm essentially using it as a vehicle to find out when you're putting out new material and new columns. And if you are guarded uh, using your Twitter and, and you're trying to be balanced in what you put out there, I know at least when you do put stuff out there, there's substance to it. There's not fluff. Yeah, but I, I know and I appreciate it. And I think that there's some merit to it. But uh, like on this, you know, a lot of people go on social media, they, they want to have hot takes, they want to have uh, people that are brash that are and that's just not me. So I mean, if people come to my Twitter page, like you do, and, and they find quality stuff, uh, then great, that's what I'm looking for. But uh, I'm not the, the, the first as a good print journalist, I was raised to, to sit in the press box and watch from afar. And then you know, offer my, my, my opinions and, but I, I'm not, the, I'm never the first one up front and I, I'm not shooting for clicks or for likes, or I just, I just want a good quality stuff out there, but maybe that's just not very good in today's game. Hey, I just think you're good at your job and I think people will respect that more. I wanted to talk about your most recent article looking at Pierre Dorian and the cup throwing spectacle uh, from the other night when the Senators lost in overtime for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, if we were to talk about the Senators and the cup, this isn't really what we'd have in mind, but I guess this is as close as we're getting for the next little while. Um, for the listeners who haven't had a chance to read your article, maybe you can give us a primer on what it's about. Yeah, well, well first and foremost, I, I like everybody else, I saw this online uh, because I wasn't watching Pierre at the end of that game. And when I first saw this online, I... I Honestly, I wasn't impressed at the, uh, at the impulsivity because I started thinking, you know what? You don't see other GMs like Joe Sackick or Steve Eisenman or Julien Brisebois acting like that at the end of the game. So, so from the get-go, I wasn't too impressed. 
then when I started thinking about this, I figured, you know what, there's a strong chance that he's reacting to Thomas Shabbat's uh, bad play in overtime. And again, Shabbat was at the end of a game where he spent over 30 minutes on the ice once again. Uh, the Sens probably wouldn't have made it to overtime if he hadn't been so good. Like offensive defensemen, when, when they do their job well in their defensive zone, they go unnoticed. When they mess up, usually it's bad. So that's what people notice. Uh, and the very next day, I, I, was, I didn't write about it right away, right? I gave myself a couple of days. The very next day, I was listening to radio and, and um, they were reading all those texts, negative texts about Thomas Shabbat's play. And I felt like a lot of it was, a lot of fans are, are holding on to that one play that um, maybe, and, and that's, that's not fair to Thomas when he had a, such a good game. And I figured, you know what, there might be some, something to it that uh, fan, the fan base is playing off Dorian's react, overreaction. Felt that maybe something needed to be written about this um, from my point of view as a columnist. I still gave myself a few days to think about it, call a few people in the hockey to make sure I wasn't overreacting to the overreaction. And by the end, I figured, you know what? Uh, people told me enough that, you know, I think my, my point of view is, is justified and uh, needs to be put out there. Do you think that Shabbat was embarrassed then? Well, you know, Thomas had, uh, you know, he, when he was asked about it, he, he had, uh, you know, a good reaction. So, you know what? The GM wants to win. I understand. But um, and, and I'm sure now it's water under the bridge, right? They're not going to hold on to this. They're not going to. It's not going to be like a grudge. No, but you're not putting this in the same vein as Daryl Sutter coming out before Johnny Goudreau's 500th game and saying, well, I hope he has more energy in this one than he had in game 499. That's a total different thing to me. That, that happens before a game. That's a coach trying to, to, to light a fire under a player. That, that's old school strategy, and I admire that to some degree. We're not used to that anymore, right? We live in a world where everything has to be so PC. But Dorian's reaction at the end of the game, um, basically, like, Shabbat probably had a, a rough weekend, a horrible weekend, especially since the Sens didn't play again that weekend. And that might have been, you know, because partly because of the way that the GM reacted, and that's not a new theme to me. Like I've known Pierre for close to 15 years. I have tons of respect for him. I feel like he did a tough job under difficult conditions since he became GM. But um, that kind of reaction, it just probably didn't help Shabbat's weekend. Like he, like I said, it probably the fan base probably played to his reaction. So that's why I feel that uh, it needed to be put out there. Do you attribute any of Dorian's reaction to frustration? Maybe he's feeling the heat uh, coming from above. I think, you know, if, if you look back at this organization's history, uh, when Melnick bought the team in 2003, he's only really had three general managers since he's taken over. And the only one he's really fired is John Muckler. Like Brian Murray stepped aside so Pierre Dorian could come to the ranks. But we've never really talked about GM uh, job stability here in Ottawa that often. Do you think Pear is uh, feeling the heat a little bit? It's a valid point, and, and that's true. Like, If you, you take into consideration that Pierre is uh, Brian Murray's uh, pupil, that's almost 15 years of you know no changes in the general ma manager position, and that's a long time. That, that you know I think Eugene Melnick deserves some credit to that, like his patience with, with Brian and Pierre. Uh, of course, you know, there's some heat. Uh, there was always pressure uh, on those positions. And that's part of why I try to be, um, I don't try to be brash because I respect the people that take positions like that and they, they go into the public limelight. And there's, so I'm sure that there's, there's a pressure on Pierre and I would respect that. Yet at the same time, your position as the GM, you're removed from the game. And you're regarded as the guy who, who needs to have both hands on the wheel at all time and never let go and think about the big picture. So, and, and 
I would add to that, you know, of course, one of these days, Pierre will be fired. Every GM gets fired at some point, and I would expect him to get another job in hockey if he wants one. Maybe not to that, you know, a GM job, but he will be able to find some work elsewhere in hockey. So, you know, I think about this and nothing justified that reaction. Now, of course, now, it's not worth talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, but at the moment, I felt I deserved to be mentioned. What do you make of the Senators' season so far? For me, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, simply because you know a lot of the young forward prospects that the Senators have brought up this year have excelled. They've developed really well, and they look comfortable as being regular NHL producers. And then you look at the back end. Artem Zub has been a revelation on the back end. But if you look at guys like Eric Brandstrom or Christian Wolan, and they haven't seen that kind of same measured steps in terms of their development, how do you evaluate this season for the Senators? I think... You know, if you take time to weigh everything, I think it's a positive season for sure. For the first time in years, we see this this team trending in the right direction. I, I, all I wanted to see uh, from from a reporter point of view, I wanted to see this team progress this year, and it has. We're at the point now where uh, when the team plays at home and, and when DJ Smith has the last change, this team can be in every game and be competitive. That's the first step towards respectability. Now, on the road, it's getting tougher, partly because um, the other coaches can send their best assets, their, their best players against the lesser defensemen. There's still a weakness there, um, lack of, of depth on defense. But, you know, you've mentioned a few things, like not everything has gone right. But as a whole, I think the Sens are having a positive season. Christian Wolan was traded this week. I think if you look back, even as far as like the fall of 2019, I think there was a lot of positive stuff written about him. I think there were a lot of optimistic articles projecting him out favorably. Maybe this is a guy who could eventually play in the team's top four. Uh, obviously, during that time frame between fall of 2019 and here, he's gone through some injury troubles, and he's only played 18 games since. Is is this a case where the organization didn't give him enough time to develop properly, or do you think this is a situation where this is a player who just simply couldn't put it all together for himself? Or is it a bit of both? First of all, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be too harsh on sense management on this one because these things happen. Sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's about you know finding the right niche. Christian Wolanin to me was a great project for the sense. Like he's a bit of a late bloomer. wasn't gonna be uh, drafted at 18. wasn't gonna be signed straight away. The way he played in his final years at college uh, made him earn a contract. Now the the injury couldn't have come at, at a worse time. And then when he came back, it was, a, it was tough for him to, to earn the trust of the coach. Uh, DJ Smith right now is trying to win as many games as he can with, with uh, uh, defensive staff that, that has clearly some issues. So, so he was never able to, to, to earn the coach's trust uh, to a level where he could play. And I understand you now DJ Smith wants to win. You know, he wants to, to build a winning culture. So there came a point where they figured, you know what, you're 26 years old. If you can't get a chance to play here, we're going to trade you to, to, to a place where you might get a second start and in a different environment. And I wish him well. Christian Wallen is a great kid. He's like, well, not a kid anymore, but he's, he's a great person. So, but uh, sometimes he just, just timing isn't good. I think there's a lot to be said about the struggles of Eric Brandstrom and Christian Wallen, and I think you make a lot of fair points. But at the same time, what's troubling to fans is that it's, it's really difficult to reconcile the fact that players like Eric Brandstrom and, and Willan have to come out of the lineup to pay penance for, for their mistakes on the ice. But at the same time, this organization's more than comfortable to repeatedly send a 35-year-old Braden Coburn out who, yeah, sure, he's a veteran who's won the Stanley Cup and he's you know gone through the trials of playing in the NHL for a number of years. But at the same time, he's not infallible. He makes 
glaring mistakes on the ice all the time. Same with Erica Branson. Like these are veterans who are making mistakes and haven't been held to the same level of accountability as some of these younger players. And I think for a lot of fans, that's a, that's a troubling, that's a troubling sentiment, especially during this year that's supposed to be about player development and playing the kids. And I think coaches will be uh, guilty of uh, trusting those older guys more than, than younger players for sure. Maybe to a fault sometimes. I will give you that. But the three players you mentioned, they're at different stages of their careers, right? Uh, like Eric Brenstrom to me right now is the most important of the three. And he's the guy that is being handled with the most care. Um, I, I believe like Pierre went on radio a couple of weeks ago and said that, you know, he feels like he's on a similar trajectory to, to Drake Patterson. Whereas, like, you know, he's, he's able right now to, to play to dominate in the AHL. He's not quite ready to do it in the NHL, which doesn't mean that he won't be able to do it next year, just like Drake Patterson has showed us. So to, to me, he's the one that, that is being handled with the most care. Christian Wolanin was just getting to a point where if he wasn't going to play in the NHL regularly, like there was much sense sending him, like keeping him now. You need to do something with him. So as much as I'm disappointed that he wasn't able to pan out, I can understand the fact that they traded him away. And now Coburn, well, he's at this moment, without you know, lacking any respect of it, the, the guy because he did it all in the NHL, in Ottawa, he's a placeholder. I, I don't think that not playing Brandstrom in the NHL every game at the moment is indicative that he will never be here full time. I think that at this moment, you need a third guy to, to play on the left side. He's that guy right now. Matt Murray's had a difficult start to his career here in Ottawa. Today, the Senators announced that they had activated him off the IR, so he should be rejoining the team shortly. What do you attribute his struggles to this season? Is it a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? Or is it simply a player who is adjusting to his first new team uh, since leaving Pittsburgh? It, it, you know, it's a new team, uh, new defense, different system. He has to, you know, he has to play behind these guys, and obviously, it's it's a much weaker team than what he's been accustomed to in Pittsburgh. What do you attribute his struggles to this year? I bring it back to to Jim Rutherford's interview with the Athletic, which I'm sure that you have read. Rutherford, as the GM for the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, for the last couple of years, said something about the fact that Murray is a very smart, very smart person, very smart athlete. That maybe he is overthinking things right now, and at that point, that's never too good, right? Uh, you need to play uh, from instinct a little bit and you need to, to earn that confidence. So to, to me, that's, it's not something that you can't fix. We've seen players bounce back from that. And Matt Murray, when, when he's thinking straight, then he can be a decent goalie. He won't be the best goalie in the NHL, but he, he can win you some games or he's not going to hurt your team. He can be a number one goalie if he finds his game again. He's only 26 years old. Now, if we accept that, it becomes how will the Sens handle him, right? You see in other organizations, you're building up staffs, like full staff to take care of goaltenders uh, and like mental strength coaches and stuff like this. Ottawa, like everywhere else, is a bit thin. And to me, that's, that, that's where this organization needs to, to take a real strong, hard look. If you invested so much money in this guy, then and just make sure that he gets everything, every tool possible to, to break out of it. That's a great point. In moving on. It was announced today that UND prospect Jacob Bernard Docker has signed his entry-level contract with the organization. One of my favorites. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, yeah. as a person. Yeah, yeah. Okay, as a person. Jacob Bernard Docker has signed, but because of rumblings coming out of North Dakota, there is a little bit of consternation amongst Senators fans right now simply because there are rumors that both Jake Sanderson and Shane Pinto may return to North Dakota next season for their respective seasons. 
at least in the case of Sanderson, he would be returning as a sophomore, and Shane Pinto would be returning as a junior. In the case of Shane Pinto, he's pretty much accomplished everything that you can do at the NCAA level, uh, save a, a, a championship. But the Senators do have two more years of control on Shane Pinto. Should this be a concern right now? Well, I mean, Bernard Docker signed so, so that, that, that's, first of all, that, that, that's positive, uh, even though it took maybe a few more hours than, you know, a little bit more time than, than other teams to, to sign their college prospects. Uh, I, I think I'm like you. Um, I, I'd be willing to be a bit more patient. I, I'd want to hear from them first to, to, to understand why they, they would decide to go back if indeed they decide to go back, which, you know, it, it hasn't been confirmed one way or the other yet. And then afterwards, I mean, it would be worth uh, paying attention. Like I could understand some older veterans, uh, free agents, not, not wanting to sign here the way things were trending the last couple of years. But, but when I look at uh, what's happening, like even though we're not in the locker room this year, reporters, I, you, you look from a distance, it's not hard to see that those kids are having so much fun playing together. Brady, Josh Norris, Jimmy Stu, and the fun they're having together. If I'm a prospect, I think I'd like to be part of that. Like, you know, this group has a chance to achieve something. Now, lots has to be done, but uh, I'd like to ask them first how they feel. And if they don't, if they decide to pass on that opportunity, then now, bigger concern rise. Another perspective might even be that this may not even be a sporting decision uh, as much as we make it out to be. If these two decide to go back to school for another year, um, even going back as far as last year for Shane Pinto, like these are players in Sanderson and Pinto who haven't really experienced like a normal school year. And they committed to these UND programs and there hasn't been that sense of normalcy. They haven't really experienced what it's like to enjoy that collegiate experience and, and that's that's a huge thing for any american kid uh coming up through the ranks so i could totally understand if they if they want to go back simply for that fact alone i went to grand forks about 15 years ago for the world junior championship and uh i, I haven't seen a, a und game because it wasn't the holiday period so so they were off but that rink it's better than three quarters of the nhl rinks um it's a true hockey town where college players are heroes. So I would understand them to want experiment that at least once before. Uh... Oh, definitely. In my family, even like my sister went to the University of Michigan. And because of it, I had a number of opportunities to go to Michigan Wolverines games and just the atmosphere and the ambiance and going to those college games and in old barns. It's, it's just absolutely unbelievable. And I'm sure the collegiate experience as a student athlete would be even better than that. And, you know, you can't really blame kids who are, you know, 18, 18 to 20 years of age for, for wanting to experience that, especially if they haven't had the opportunity to experience a normal uh, academic year. And for that, I don't blame them. I don't blame them for, for expressing an interest in going back. Sly, I know we're pressed on time. You have a big interview scheduled for 11 o'clock. I was just wondering if we could get to a few reader questions before I have to let you go. Is that okay? Yeah, for sure. This one comes from Steve on Sens, and it's kind of a big one. It's something that the organization has really struggled with since its inception. Is how do you grow this organization's brand and build on build on its fan base in Ghana? How do they do that? First thing I would say, that if if somebody from uh, team management would ask me at this moment, how how should we do this? The first thing I would I would tell them is is not to expect um, if they, they commit to it, not to expect immediate results. Because the team is 30 years old now, and whether they're right or wrong, a lot of the fans in the marketplace feel like the francophone market has been neglected. 
So, so the first thing would be like, it's going to be a long game. If they really care about this, uh, they, they have to commit to it over a long period and, and they have to be real serious about it. They, they can't do it halfway. Like to make a short answer, what I would do right now, I would key on social media for years. And that, that is true for, for, for the English side of, as well. I mean, for years, like you've been fan of this team for a long time. Uh, the Sens have been neglected. Like when the huge TV networks ran the show, uh, that, uh, they, they would always give more time to the Leafs and the Habs, despite, you know, sometimes when the Sens were more relevant as a team. Now, um, the focus of the fans have changed. All the fans are on Twitter now. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. I would hire an army uh, of young creative people and I would pump as much fun content as I could in both languages. You know, make sure that the fans, you know, just want to get some stuff from them. And that's where I would start. I should mention, too, that in fairness to the centers, they have built a few rinks of dreams as well, right? They, they have tried to make inroads before. And, and that's what I'm telling you. I mean, like, uh, whether or not fans are, are right to think that way, that's the way many of them think, right? And maybe sometimes some of them have been Habs fans for, for decades and for, for generations, and they want to comfort themselves into thinking that, you know, I like the Habs, you know, the Sens are my hometown team, my home area, but, but I like the Habs better because they care about me. So, so what I'm telling you is you want to change perceptions, it's going to take a lot of time. For sure. It's a generational thing. I think if you look at anyone who's around the age of 40, their parents grew up in this area, uh, either cheering for the Leafs or cheering for the Canadians. And it's going to take time for some of those first generation Senators fans to have kids who look up to their parents and say, yeah, I want to be a Senators fan too. And, so, and you that's know, what I'm telling you. Social media is, is where to start for sure. Looking at other questions, we had one that was looking at wondering how much popcorn you eat at the CTC. Uh, here's a good one. Looking at Ottawa's performance this season, what do you think their outlook is for next year? Do you think the playoffs are a realistic possibility? It depends. Uh, two conditions to me. Uh, first of all, can you add at least one or two bona fide NHL defensemen to the core? Uh, and I'm thinking about guys, not necessarily to two, not like the, the most gifted defensive players, but guys that you can send on the ice against anyone at any time. That if you can do this, then it's a huge step in the right direction. Then afterwards, is can you get consistent goaltending? I'm not asking you to, to have the best goalie in the league. If you can have a goalie that will make you know the regular saves and, and give your chance a team every night, a team to win every night, I'm thinking that you know what? At the very least, they will leave the bottom of the basement. And I wouldn't be shocked if those two criteria are met that the, the Sens are pushing for a playoff spot next year. How much pressure are the Senators under to find a good playing partner for Tom Shabbat? It seems like whenever the subject is broached. That analogy comes up where, hey, we need the Mark Mathot to Eric Carlson for Tom Shabbat. We need that good, steady partner. And how would you evaluate Shabbat's season thus far? For me, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. You know, I, I think, to me, the, the good outweighs the bad. Um, I, I only look at, like, I'm going to focus on the growth of the team, the way that the, the team has been able to, to uh, you know, do better at home of late. And in those home games, I mean, on the March 22nd against the Flames, Shabbat played the last two minutes and 30 seconds of the game while the team was, was defending a 2-1 lead. Like, he's going to make mistakes. And to me, I, I think so. I think it, it's paramount to find the right player that, that would calm him down and that will shoulder a bit of the weight um, because then it will allow him to play with more poise, with more confidence, and, and grow as a player. Now, slide before I let you go. Is there anything that you'd like to plug? 
Uh, actually, um, no, just thanks for having me here. No, it was really great having you. And as much as you hate it, I'm going to recommend to all our listeners right now, follow Sylvain on Twitter. I'm going to leave a link on the post for this podcast. Um, if you're not reading his stuff, you can find it at Le Dois. It's excellent, fair, uh, critical when it needs to be. And uh, it's just a great read. And uh, Sylvain deserves a bigger audience. And hopefully this platform can expose him to some new eyes. Sylvain, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, have a good day.